Chapter Thirteen of Raspberry Jam by Caroline Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fleming Stone, one of the handsomest types of American manhood, is that rather frequently seen combination of iron gray hair and dark, deep set eyes that look out from under heavy brows with a keen comprehensive glance this type of man is always a thinker usually a professional man and almost invariably a man of able brain he is nearly always well formed physically and of good carriage and demeanour at any rate fleming stone was all of these things and when he came into the embry living room his appearance was in such contrast to that of the other two detectives that eunice greeted him with a pleased smile neither shane nor driscoll was present and mason elliot introduced stone to the two ladies with a deep and fervent hope that the great detective could free eunice from the cloud of danger and disgrace that hovered above her head his magnetic smile was so attractive that aunt abby nodded her head in complete approval of the newcomer and now tell me all about everything stone said as they seated themselves in a cosy group i know the newspaper facts but that's all i must do my work quite apart from the beaten track and i want any sidelights or bits of information that your local detectives may have overlooked and which may help us you don't think eunice did it do you mr stone aunt abby broke out impulsively quite forgetting the man was a comparative stranger i am going to work on the theory that she did not he declared then we will see that we can scare up in the way of evidence against someone else first give me a good look at those doors that shut off the bedrooms with a grave face fleming stone studied the doors which as he saw when bolted on the inside left no means of access to the three rooms in which the family had slept except the windows stone mused and went to look at them as they all had window boxes save one in aunt abby's room and as that was about a hundred feet from the ground he dismissed the possibility of an intruder nobody could climb over the plants without breaking them said eunice with a sigh at the inevitable deduction stone looked closely at the plants kept in perfect order by aunt abby who loved the work and who tended them every day not a leaf was crushed not a stem broken and the scarlet geranium blossoms stood straight up like so many mute witnesses against any burglarious entrance 
stone returned to aunt abby's side window and leaning over the sill looked out and down to the street below couldn't be reached even by firemen's ladders he said and anyway the police would have spotted any ladder work i try to think someone came in at that window said elliot but even so nobody could go through miss ames room and then mrs embry's room and so on to mr embry's room do his deadly work and return again without waking the ladies not only that but how could he get in the window said eunice there is no possible way of climbing across from the next apartment oh i am honest with myself she added as stone looked at her curiously i don't deceive myself by thinking impossibilities could happen but somebody killed my husband and according to the detectives i'm the only one who had both motive and opportunity had you a motive mrs embry stone asked quietly eunice stared at him they say so she replied they say i was unhappy with him and were you the very directness of stone's pertinent questions seemed to compel eunice's truthful answers and she said of course i was but that eunice hush broke in elliot with a pained look don't say such things dear it can do no good and may injure your case not with me stone declared my work has led me rather intimately into people's lives and i am willing to go on record as saying that fifty per cent of marriages are unhappy more or less whether that is a motive for murder depends entirely on the temper and temperament of the married ones themselves but it is very rarely that a wife kills her husband why there are lots of cases in the papers said miss ames and never are the women convicted either oh not lots of cases objected stone but the few that do occur are usually tragic and dramatic and fill front page for a few days now let's sift down this remarkably definite statement of motives and opportunities that your eminent detectives have catalogued i am told that they have two people with motive and no opportunity two more with opportunity and no motive and one mrs embry who fulfills both requirements quite an elaborate schedule to be sure eunice looked at him with a glimmer of hope surely a man who talked like that didn't place implicit reliance on the schedule in question and yet stone went on 
it is certainly true a motive is a queer thing and elusive uncertain thing they say i have this from the detectives themselves that mr hendricks and mr elliot both had the motive of deep affection for mrs embry please don't be offended i am speaking quite impersonally now mr hendricks i am advised also had a strong motive in a desire to remove a rival candidate for an important election but neither of these gentlemen had opportunity as each has proven a perfect and indubitable alibi i admit the alibis i have looked into them and they are unimpeachable but i don't admit the motives granting a man's affection for a married woman it is not at all a likely thing for him to kill her husband right mr stone and mason elliot's voice rang out in honest appreciation again it is absurd to suspect one election candidate of killing another it isn't done and one very good reason is that if the criminal should be discovered he has small chance for the election he coveted and there is always a chance and a strong one that murder will out so personally i admit i don't subscribe entirely to the cut and dried program of my esteemed colleagues now as to these two people with opportunity but no motive they are i am told miss ames and the butler very well i grant their opportunity but since they are alleged to have no motive why consider them at all this brings us to mrs embry eunice was watching the speaker fascinated she had never met a man like this before though stone's manner was by no means flippant he seemed to take a light view of some aspects of the case but now he looked at eunice very earnestly i am informed he went on slowly that you have an ungovernable temper mrs embry nothing of the sort eunice cried tossing her head defiantly and turning angry eyes on the bland detective i am supposed to be unable to control myself but it is not true as a child i gave way to fits of temper i acknowledge but i have overcome that tendency i am no more hot-tempered now than other people as always when roused eunice looked strikingly beautiful her eyes shone and her cheeks showed a crimson flush she drew herself up haughtily and clenching her hands on the back of a chair as she stood facing stone she said if you have come here to browbeat me to discuss my personal characteristics you may go have no intention of being brought to book by a detective why eunice don't talk that way begged aunt abby i am sure mr stone is trying to get you freed 
from that awful thing that is hanging over you there is no awful thing hanging over me i don't know what you mean aunt abby there can't be anything worse than to have a stranger come in here and remark on my unfortunate weakness in sometimes giving way to my sense of righteous indignation i resent it i won't have it mason you brought mr stone here now take him away there there eunice you are not quite yourself and i don't wonder this scene is too much for you i am sure you will make allowance mr stone for mrs embry's overwrought nerves of course and fleming stone spoke coldly without sympathy or even apparent interest let mrs embry retire to her room if she wishes they had all returned to the big living room and stone stood near a front window now and then glancing out to the trees in park avenue below i don't want to retire to my room eunice cried i don't want to be set aside as if i were a child i did want mr stone to investigate this whole matter but i don't now i have changed my mind mason tell him to go away no dear and elliot looked at her kindly you can't change your mind like that mr stone has the case and he will go on with it and when you come to yourself again you will be glad for he will free you from suspicion by finding the real criminal i don't want him to i don't want the criminal found i want it to be an unsolved mystery always and forever no elliot spoke more firmly no eunice that is not what you want stop i know what i want without your telling me you overstep your privileges mason i'm not an imbecile to be ignored set aside overruled i won't stand it mr stone you are discharged she stood pointing to the door with a gesture that would have been melodramatic had she not been so desperately in earnest the soft black sleeve fell away from her soft white arm and her outstretched hand was steady and unwavering as she stood silent but quivering with suppressed rage eunice and going to her elliot took the cold white hand in his own eunice he said and no more but his eyes looked deeply into hers she gazed steadily for a moment and then her face softened she turned aside and sank wearily into a chair do as you like she said in a low murmur i'll leave it to you mason let mr stone go ahead yes go ahead mr stone said aunt abby eagerly i'll show you anywhere you want to go anything you want to see i'll tell you all about it why 
Uh, do you know anything I haven't been told, Miss Ames? I thought we had pretty well sized up the situation. Yes, but I can tell you something that nobody else will listen to, and I think you will. Eunice started up again. Aunt Abby, she said, if you begin that pack of full nonsense about a vision, I'll leave the room. I vow I will. Leave then, retorted Aunt Abby, whose patience was also under strain. But Stone said, Wait, please, I want a few more matters mentioned. And then, Miss Ames, I will listen to your full nonsense. First, what is this talk about money troubles between Mr. and Mrs. Embry? That, Eunice seemed interested, is utter folly. My husband objected to giving me a definite allowance, but he gave me twice the sum I would have asked for, and more too, by letting me have charge accounts everywhere I chose. Then you didn't kill him for that reason? And the dark eyes of the detective rested on Eunice kindly. No, I did not, she said curtly, and Stone returned. I believe you, Mrs. Embry. If you were the criminal, that was not the motive. Next, he went on. What about this quarrel you and Mr. Embry had the night before his death? That was because I had disobeyed his express orders, Eunice said frankly and bravely. And I went to a bridge game at a house to which he had forbidden me to go. I am sorry, and I wish I could tell him so. Fleming Stone looked at her closely. Was she sincere, or was she merely a clever actress? A game of high stakes, I assume, he said quietly. Very high. Mr. Embry objected strongly to my playing there, but I went, hoping to win some money that I wanted. That you wanted? For some particular purpose? No only that I might have a few dollars in my purse, as other women do. It all comes back to the same old quarrel, Mr. Stone. You don't know. I can't make you understand. How humiliating, how galling it is for a woman to have no money of her own. Nobody understands. But I have been subjected to shame and embarrassment hundreds of times for the want of a bit of ready money. I think I do understand, Mrs. Embry. I know how hard it must have been for a proud woman to have that annoyance. Did Mr. Embry object to the lady who was your hostess that evening? Yes, he did. Mrs. Desternay is an old school friend of mine, but Mr. Embry never liked her and he objected more strenuously because she had the bridge games. And the lady's attitude toward you? Fifi? Oh, I don't know. We have always been friends, generally speaking. But we have had quarrels now and then, 
sometimes we'd be really intimate and then again we wouldn't speak for six weeks at a time just pity tiffs you know but they seemed serious at the time i see hello here's maguire ferdinand with a half apologetic look ushered in a boy with red hair and a very red face he was a freckled youth and his bright eyes showed quick perception as they darted round the room and came to rest on miss ames on whom he smiled broadly this is my assistant stone said casually his name is terence maguire and he is an invaluable help anything doing son not particular can it sit and listen clearly the lad was embarrassed probably at the unaccustomed luxury of his surroundings and the presence of so many high-bred strangers for terence or fibsy as he was nicknamed was a child of the streets and though a clever assistant to fleming stone in his career the boy seldom accompanied his employer to the homes of the aristocracy when he did do so he was seized with a shyness that was by no means evident when he was in his more congenial surroundings he glanced bashfully at eunice attracted by her beauty but afraid to look at her attentively he gazed at mason elliot with a more frank curiosity and then he cast a furtive look at aunt abby who was herself smiling at him it was a genial whole-souled smile for the old lady had a soft spot in her heart for boys and was already longing to give him some fruit and nuts from the sideboard fibsy seemed to divine her attitude and he grinned affably and was more at his ease but he sat quietly while the others went on discussing the details of the case eunice was amazed at such a strange partner for the great man but she quickly thought that a street urchin like that could go to places and learn of side issues in ways which the older man could not compass so conveniently presently fibsy slipped from his seat and quietly went into the bedrooms eunice raised her eyebrows slightly but fleming stone observing said don't mind mrs embry the lad is all right i'll vouch for him a queer helper remarked elliot yes but very worth while i rely on him in many ways and he almost never fails to help me he's now looking over the bedrooms just as i did and he'll disturb nothing mercy me exclaimed aunt abby maybe he won't but i don't like boys prowling among my things and she scurried after him she found him in her room and rather gruffly said what are you up to boy snuff ma'am he replied with a comical wink which ought to have shocked the old lady 
but which somehow had a contrary effect do you like candy she asked unnecessarily she knew and offered him a box from a drawer Fipsy felt that a verbal answer was not called for and helping himself proceeded to munch the sweets contentedly and continuously say he burst out after a thoughtful study of the room where was that there dropper thing found anyhow in this medicine chest nah i mean where did the girl find it the housework girl you seem to know a lot about the matter sure i do where'd you say right here and aunt abby pointed to a place on the rug near the head of her bed it was a narrow bed which had been brought there for her during her stay huh now you coulda drop it there i know and aunt abby whispered nobody will believe me but i know you do say you're some whiz spill it to me there's a dear fibsy was in his way a psychologist and he knew by instinct that this old lady would like him better if he retained his ignorant untutored ways than if he used a more polished speech which he had painstakingly acquired for other kinds of occasions i wonder if you'd understand for a boy you're a bright one oh yes ma'am i am they don't make them no brighter in me try me do miss ames i'm right there with the goods well child it's this i saw a a vision yes am i know i mean i know what visions are they're fine too he fairly smacked his lips in gusto and it encouraged aunt abby to proceed yes and it was the ghost of who do you suppose it was your grandmother ma'am the boy's attitude was eagerly attentive and his freckled little face was drawn in a desperate interest no aunt abby drew closer and just breathed the words mr embry oh fibsy was really startled and his eyes opened wide as he urged go on ma'am yes well it was just at the moment that mr embry was that he died you know yes'm they always comes then ma'am i know it and oh child this is a true story oh yes ma'am i know it is indeed one could scarcely doubt it for aunt abby having found an interested listener at last poured forth her account of her strange experience not caring for comment or explanation since she had found someone who believed yes it was just at that time i know because it was almost daylight just before dawn and i was asleep 
but not entirely asleep. Sort of half dozing. Yes, and Sanford, Mr. Embry, you know, came gliding through my room, and he stopped at my bedside to say good-bye. Was he alive? asked Fibsy, awe-struck at her hushed tones and bright glittering eyes. Oh, no, it was his spirit, you see, his disembodied spirit. How could you see it, then? When spirits appear like that, they are visible. Oh, ma'am, I didn't know. Yes, and I not only saw him, but he was evident to all my five senses. What, ma'am? What do you mean? Fibsy drew back, a little scared, as Aunt Abby clutched his sleeve in her excitement. He felt uneasy, for it was growing dusk, and the old lady was in such a state of nervous exhilaration that he shrank a little from her proximity. But Fibsy was game. Go on, ma'am, he whispered. Yes, Aunt Abby declared with an eerie smile of triumph. I saw him. I heard him. I felt him. I smelled him. And I tasted him. Fibsy nearly shrieked, for at each enumeration of her marvelous experiences, Miss Ames grasped his arm tighter and emphasized her statements by pounding on his shoulder. She seemed unaware of his personal presence. She talked more as if recounting the matter to herself, but she used him as a general audience, and the boy had to make a desperate effort to preserve his poise. And then it struck him that the old lady was crazy, or else she really had an important story to tell. In either case, it was his duty to let Fleming Stone hear it, at first hand if possible, but he felt sure that to call in the rest of the household, or to take the narrator out to them would, as he expressed it to himself, upset her apple cart and spill the beans. End of chapter 13